Hello, everyone, and welcome to Eleanor Norris podcast. I'm Maurice Mackey, a counsel in our employment law team. In our podcast today, we will be talking about a new draft legislation on whistleblowing. For this, I will be joined by my colleague, Julian Kisslinger, an associate of our team. Hello, everyone. Yeah, Maurice, whistleblowing is quite an exciting subject, which nowadays should be on everyone's agenda, I guess. Yes, that, that's right. But uh, actually, 20, 20 years ago, three, three whistleblowers were named Persons of the Year by the Time magazine, further to the Enron and WorldCom scandals. And in the US, the so-called Sachs Law, which aimed to protect whistleblowers, was adopted. But in Europe, for obvious historical reasons, governments were to a certain extent at the time reluctant to foresee a clear legal framework and also protection for whistleblowers. Absolutely. And now yet, almost 20 years later, the European legislator has adapted a directive in 2019 on the protection of individuals who report violations of European Union law. And the objective of this directive is to remedy the current fragmentation of whistleblower protection legislation within the EU by introducing minimum rules and guarantees. Um, Luxembourg has tabled its draft bill only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, And even if the bill has yet to go through the entire legislative process and will hence most certainly see text modified in the next months, um, Luxembourg-based employers are well advised to start already to reflect internally on the implementation of their future whistleblowing policy. So now let's take a closer look at this bill. And Julian, who are these whistleblowers and what exactly does the bill cover? Well, according to the bill, whistleblowers are individuals who have gained, in the course of their professional activities, knowledge and information of violations of national or European law, and who report and who disclose such violations via, first of all, internal reporting channels, which means, of course, within their employer, or through external reporting channels, and so report violations directly um, to the competent authorities, such as, for instance, the CSSF, or the Luxembourg Labour Inspectorate, the ITM, and who might disclose such violations also in some cases, specifically and directly to the public. Um, with respect to the bill's material scope of application, it's interesting to note that although the directive only covers certain acts and fields of action of the European Union, the Luxembourg government has decided to extend the directive's material scope to all national law and thus also to Luxembourg labor law and violations thereof. Okay, uh, Julian, wait a minute. Are you saying that the Luxembourg legislator decided to extend the scope of application beyond that, what the European legislator had actually foreseen? Yes, that's correct. And um, this choice seems to be motivated at least by the Luxembourg government's desire to guarantee a complete, let's say, a coherent and more clearly defined framework of whistleblower protection and so to provide a greater legal certainty, and this for both the whistleblowers and the employers. Um, however, and this is important to note, provisions on whistleblower protection, which are already contained in a specific sectoral law, and provided, of course, and they offer um, similar guarantees, prevail over the bill's general provisions. So, for instance, the law of the financial sector of 5 April 1993, as amended, already sets forth reporting procedures of violations and, as a consequence, offers similar equivalent guarantees for whistleblowers who work in the financial sector. As regards the bill's personal scope, it applies to whistleblowers who work in the private sector, meaning the employees, or also in the public sector, and in this case I refer to the civil servants, 
and should both have obtained information about violation of European and national law in the professional context. And by that, I mean, of course, during the performance of their work. And in order to be more precise, perhaps, the personal scope includes, in addition to notably trainees, shareholders and members of the board of directors, also former employees and also persons whose employment of a relationship has not yet begun. Meaning, for instance, when information about the violations were obtained during the recruitment process or also during pre-contractual negotiations. So, Maurice, this shows, in my opinion, that the array of individuals who might benefit from the bill's protection regime of whistleblowers is rather large in practice. Yeah, interesting. And what kind of companies operating in the private sector are here concerned? Well, according to the bill, companies counting between 50 and 249 employees have until 17 December 2023 in order to establish the so-called internal reporting channels, uh, which means a system and procedures which allow employees to internally within the company, so report violations of European or of national law, uh, they became aware of in the framework of their work. And we will later on touch upon these uh, reporting channels in more detail. Um, however, for employers currently counting 250 employees or more, the requirement of the establishment of such internal reporting channels and the corresponding procedures is immediate, which means as of the entry into force of the law, whereas companies uh, who count less than 50 employees are finally free to decide as to whether they want to set up such internal reporting channels and procedures or not. Okay, so in, in other words, the, the biggest companies in terms of workforce are actually well advised to closely monitor this bill and also to be ready as from day one. Um, what requires a certain anticipation and planning in the internal decision making. So, Julian, concretely, what steps do employers have to take to effectively establish such a whistleblowing system, as you said, uh, and to ensure its enforceability? Well, thanks, Maurice. That's indeed a good point you address. Um, first of all, the introduction of a whistleblowing system within the employer requires the establishment of a whistleblowing policy. So in this respect, the Luxembourg courts have ruled that such a whistleblowing policy is to be considered as an internal regulation, such as, for instance, the well-known teleworking policy. Um, therefore, the effective introduction of such whistleblowing policy within the company requires the prior involvement of the staff delegation, provided, of course, the company counts the staff delegation. And the degree of the staff delegation's involvement in this respect depends on the company's headcount. So in companies with less than 150 employees, the employer is merely obliged to inform and consult the staff delegation on the envisaged implementation of the whistleblowing policy. Um, this means in practice that even if the staff delegation renders a negative opinion on the envisaged implementation of a whistleblowing policy, the employer can nevertheless proceed to the implementation of a whistleblowing policy and later on then the whole whistleblowing system which covers um, the internal reporting channels and the underlying procedures. However, in case the company counts 150 employees or more, the employee in this case must obtain the staff delegation's approval. And in this respect, we've heard, we, call, we talk about the, uh, the famous regime of the co-decision prior to introducing such a whistleblowing policy. And finally, um, the employees must also be informed of the introduction of the whistleblowing policy and the subsequent mechanisms that are put in place within the company. So there is indeed um, a need to prepare a proper communication and maybe even also to hold an information session in order for the employees to understand their rights and obligations in this respect. Yeah, this, this is a good point, Julian. So I think this is important to keep in mind. So 
Um, but as, as, as you said, employers will need to have this proper internal uh, planning uh, and also then to establish the policy, the internal challenge, the procedures and so on. Let's assume all of this is properly done. Uh, and then what kind of protection does the bill grant whistleblowers and what are the conditions for this protection? Well, the protection um, of the whistleblowers against any form of retaliation is in practice subject to strict conditions. So in order to benefit from the protection against any form of retaliation, whistleblowers must first of all have reasonable grounds to believe in light of the circumstances and the information available to them at the time of reporting that the facts or the, the information they report were true and fall within the bill's scope. Well, uh, Julian, this is an important point, I guess. Um, so does this mean that an employee would deliberately and knowingly report information that he or she knows to be false, this employee would then not be protected, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's correct. So this requirement is indeed an essential safeguard against malicious or abusive reporting. And at the same time, uh, this requirement ensures that the whistleblower remains protected when he or she has reported information in good faith, which later on turned out to be inaccurate. And the second condition is that whistleblowers must have reported a violation either via an internal or external reporting channel or, and subject to very specific conditions, a public disclosure in accordance with the bill's provisions. And as regards um, these reporting channels, one must also bear in mind that the bill establishes a hierarchy between the different reporting channels. So this means that the whistleblower may freely choose to report the violation via an internal or an external channel. However, the whistleblower must have used one of the two reporting channels prior to publicly disclosing a violation of national or European law. Okay, so to, to sum up, the, the person has to act in good faith, it's the first condition, and has to have recurs to an internal or an external report channel and second condition. So can you tell us maybe a bit more uh, how these reporting challenges actually work in practice? Of course. Um, first of all, these reporting channels may be managed internally by a designated person or a department, for instance, HR or legal, or on the other hand, may also be handled externally by a third party. Um, as regards the procedure and as a first step, the internal channels for receiving reports must be designed, established and managed in a secured way, which ensures the confidentiality of the whistleblower's identity and any third party mentioned in the reporting. And the whistleblower's identity may only be disclosed if this is a necessary and a proportionate obligation, which is imposed by national or European law in the context of investigations, which are carried out by the authorities, or on the other hand, in the context of legal proceedings, and in particular, in order to safeguard the rights of defense of the persons who are concerned. So once the report is received, the whistleblower must receive an acknowledgement of receipt of his or her report within seven days. And later on, the employer is responsible for designating a staff member who is in charge of receiving and following up on the reports internally. And this person uh, who is responsible for receiving the reports must be an impartial person or an impartial department, which is capable of ensuring the follow-up. For instance, once again, HR or legal, and the whistleblower must receive an answer to his or her report within three months of acknowledgement of receipt of the reporting. And another point to keep in mind is that these internal reporting channels, they allow for written and oral reporting, which can be done in one of Luxembourg's three official languages, or in any other language which is acknowledged and accepted in the company, and which given our clients is, for instance, English. And furthermore, as a last point, it is possible to report by telephone or even if requested, by the whistleblower through a face-to-face -face meeting. 
In this respect, it's important to note that in case the company does not abide by these rules, um, the competent authorities may impose an administrative fine of 1,500 euros and up to 250,000 euros on the employer. Wow, this is quite something, uh, but uh, well understood. There, there are a lot of steps to be taken to account. And uh, I think uh, once again, uh, I think it becomes obvious that uh, employers will have to uh, think this through and also to, to carefully plan uh, this entire procedure. So, But uh, you also talked about in the a few minutes ago about the external reporting. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, of course. So just as you said, um, instead of having recourse to internal reporting channels, the whistleblowers may also decide to go down a different route and so to choose to report externally, that is directly to a competent authority. Um, in essence, the procedure and the follow-up for reports made to the competent authority are the same as for the internal reportings. Yet there are two differences I would like to highlight here. And the first is that the competent authorities may decide that a reported violation is clearly minor and does not require any follow-up. And the second one is that the competent authorities may not act on repetitive reports and who contain no new information. And however, and this is important, in both of the aforementioned cases, the competent authority must give reasons for its decision and must inform the whistleblower thereof. Okay, this makes sense. But uh, now the employee, can he freely choose between the internal or external challenge or can he maybe action both? How, how does it work? Well, not quite. As, as said before, the bill provides for a hierarchy between the internal and external reporting, meaning that the internal reporting shall be prioritized. And therefore, in order for individuals to prioritize internal reportings, companies are obviously, let's say, have an incentive to, to make sure that the internal reporting channels are efficient and easy to use. And in this respect, the implementation of an electronic or online whistleblowing system, which is compliant with the GDPR rules, has the advantage of guaranteeing the security and the anonymity of whistleblowers. Okay, makes sense. Uh, so, but once the, the whistleblower has used one of these challenges, has properly reported uh, an act or an omission, uh, which are illegal, for instance, or in violation of a national or European law, um, then uh, you, you said before that the whistleblower would have a, a protection. Uh, how does it work, uh, the protection uh, of, of the whistleblower? Well, for and foremost, um, all retaliatory measures, including, for instance, threats and attempts at retaliation in response to the whistleblower's reportings, which are made in compliance with the procedures I just mentioned, are prohibited. And uh, in addition, specific forms of retaliation by the employer, such as, for instance, dismissals, demotions, salary reductions or change of working hours and disciplinary sanctions in general are avoidable. Um, this means that the employee concerned may, within 15 days following the notification of the retaliatory measure, bring the matter before the labor court and in order to have the retaliatory measure be ruled null and void and so to obtain its cessation. Um, the employee who has not invoked the nullity of retaliatory measure may still bring an action for compensation for the harm suffered and thus in this case claim damages. Okay, um, but as always in, in litigation cases, uh, an important point is the, the burden of proof. Who will actually have to prove that the employer's decision to dismiss, for instance, as was actually a retaliation measure because uh, of the reportings of the, of the whistleblower? Well, that's a good point, Maurice. Um, indeed, the effectiveness of the protection which is introduced by the bill would be limited if it were up in practice up to the whistleblower to prove that he or she had suffered retaliation following her, his or her reportings. And so the bill provides indeed for a reversal, may I say some sort of a shift 
of the burden of proof, provided, first of all, the whistleblower is acting in good faith, and second, has complied with the prescribed reporting procedures. And if this is the case, meaning if these two conditions are met, and once the whistleblower has made a prima facie case that he or she reported the violations in accordance with the bill's provisions and suffered harm, the burden of proof shifts to the person who took the harmful action, which in practice is, of course, the employer. And therefore, it will be up to the employer to demonstrate that his actions were finally unrelated to the whistleblower's reportings. Uh, however, a whistleblower who knowingly reports or publicly discloses false information may be subject to a prison sentence of three days up to three months and also a fine of 1,500 euros up to 50,000 euros. And finally, the author of a false report may be held civilly liable. And in this respect, the entity which has suffered damages, meaning the employer, may claim compensation for the loss suffered, and again claim damages before the competent court. Thank you, Julian, very much for this clear and thorough explanations and for sharing your, your practical recommendation. I think this was quite interesting and it will be likewise be interesting to see how the draft law will evolve over the next month. But already now, needless to say that for employers, Uh, there will be a lot of preparation. Uh, many technical and practical elements will have to be factored in. And I would, from a personal point of view, say that beyond all of these legal considerations, one critical aspect for the success of this whistleblowing system will also be to educate employees in the sense that whistleblowing channels should not be misused or diverted from their actual aim. So uh, there will be a need I would say, to inform employees properly about their rights and obligation in that context. But we would, of course, be happy to help you navigating this complex yet interesting framework. So do not hesitate to reach out in case of question. Thank you very much for listening and have a nice day. Thank you.